This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Thus we begin. Let's begin by praying, of course. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for, again, for assembling so many people who have come to celebrate your son and to celebrate what you've done uh, for us through him. So, Lord, indeed, we thank you, and uh, we are indeed grateful. And, Lord, we pray that you'll give us ears to hear your word. And we pray as that we read the scripture that uh, you will strengthen our faith and strengthen our resolve to live in the power of the resurrection and to share his sufferings. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we um, <clears throat> come uh, once again to uh, a, a well-known holiday, and I'll let you in on a little bit of a trade secret, you know, uh, amongst preachers. Uh, this, the, these days are, are very difficult. First of all, uh, for example, with Easter, you know, the gospel and even preaching has been upstaged by Easter bunnies, okay, and chocolate eggs, I never knew, I never understood how Easter bunnies could produce chocolate eggs, but still <coughs> remains a mystery. And of course, springtime, and uh, it's difficult. And then secondly, the issue, come on, Abby, man, you're going to miss it. I think they got Easter bunnies back there and chocolate eggs. <laughs> the things I really, really love. The second thing is... Um, truthfully, you've all heard this before. It's all a sort of old hat to us, and it's even become a cliche. And so the temptation is to find something that can shock you, uh, you know, to bring a camel or, if, you know, some live goats or something. I mean, something, you know, yelling, screaming, having a film clip. But in truth, the truth about the Resurrection Day, or Easter, if you want to call it Easter, is simply this, is that actually it may be old hat, but we don't pay it enough attention. And I think I say it every year, but it's, it, gets, it becomes more true every year. When do we <coughs> think about the Resurrection? Generally on Easter Day and at funerals. And the rest of the year, we put it away somewhere. It's not a living reality for us, unfortunately. And uh, I always like every year I quote the same, uh, I think he's Croatian or Serbian, Serbian theologian, Yaroslav uh, Pelikan, yes? And what did he say about Easter? What did he say about the resurrection? He said, if the resurrection is true, then nothing else matters. Yes, if the resurrection is really true, if we really believe it, nothing else matters. And he said, if it's not true, nothing else matters. Yes? Nothing else matters. 
And the, and the question is, how do we live it out? How does it affect our daily life? Or why does it affect our daily life? And I think the text for Easter, the text from Luke, uh, and some of the following Lucan passages, as well as one from John, they ask us some really important questions. Now, <clears throat> on the surface, you can look at uh, Luke 24, and if you're looking for quote-unquote proof of the resurrection, there's some interesting things in this passage. One, uh, Peter stoops down into the tomb, yes, and he sees uh, the grave clothes. So people say that, uh, apologists say that if you were going to steal a body, you certainly wouldn't unwrap the body. And secondly, and more importantly, in these texts, in this text that we read, in the texts that follow, all the way to the end of the chapter, we see a lot of doubt, okay? A lot of doubt. Uh, so if the disciples made up a story that somehow they stole the body and they were going to peddle a, you might say, a fib, or tell everyone a lie, uh, it doesn't seem likely. But the text challenges, really, it challenges us even on a deeper level. And one of the things that struck me uh, as reading this is that, of course, in all four accounts, uh, it's women who go to the tomb. It's women who are going to finish the burial uh, process uh, that they started on Friday afternoon. Uh, they're going to show loyalty and devotion by making sure that Jesus is properly buried, that he's most likely Jesus was left on a burial bench and they were somehow going to put the body into a burial niche, uh, put spices on it, and then close the niche, uh, as was the custom uh, in Second Temple period Judaism. And of course, as they go to the tomb, um, what happens? They don't find the body. But in every case, in the case of all four Gospels, the women run into an angel, or they run into a supernatural being. Uh, and this angel, or there are two angels actually, they ask a question, and I think the question is good for us, and it's still relevant for us, and perhaps it's even addressed to us as much as, as it was addressed to them. And the question is, why, why do we seek the living amongst the dead? Yes? And it's not just about looking for Jesus in the grave. The question is, why do we as human beings look for life in every place that can't give us life? Yes? Why do we look for that which is eternal or that which is satisfying, that which will endure in the, mo in the flimsiest, yes, and uh, the most temporal of things. Like, for example, how many people like us on Facebook? How many songs do we have in our iTunes collection? You know, the old saying, he, he or she who has the most songs wins or something. 
what are, what our status happens to be um, how many tweets uh, we have do we have a YouTube video that's gone viral yes our finances our property portfolio sensuality popularity why do we look for the living amongst the dead all of these things are passing away they will all soon disappear along with the rest of us and we should be reminded of the Apostle Paul and his words who said it's that which is invisible which is permanent and it's essential. All that we see around us is in the process of corroding. It's in the process of rusting. And in the words of that famous, famous philosopher from Canada, yes, if you're Canadian, you'll know who I'm talking about. Rust never sleeps. Okay? Rust never sleeps. So why do we look again? Why do we seek life? It reminds me, should remind all of us, of that passage in Jeremiah 2, where the prophet Jeremiah brings an indictment against Israel. And you know the indictment is really simple. <clears throat> and he puts it in an image that everybody can understand. It's not very complicated theology. And he says to Israel, why? You know, God says through the prophet, and he says, why have you abandoned me, the spring of living water? Yes? What is uh, spring water? It's water that brings life. It's water that refreshes. It's water that's clean. It's water that's cold. And instead, God says to Israel, you have built cisterns for yourself. I mean, cistern water is gnarly. It's disgusting, especially if it's been there for some months. Rats and cats fall into the cistern and decay and then, you know, spread disease. Why have you abandoned me? the spring of living water, you built your own cisterns. And then God goes on to say, the cisterns you built are cracked. They don't even hold water. They, you've created your own religious system, your own alternatives, and they're not workable. Why do we seek, why do all of us seek life from what is dead instead of seeking the Lord himself? The second question doesn't come from our gospel, but it comes from the gospel um, of John. And uh, in the gospel of John, Mary meets a man who she thinks is the gardener. And it's interesting. The man says to her, not what are you looking for? You know, what kind of ideology or what kind of theology do you need? You know, what kind of worldview are you looking for? The man, in that story, says to Mary, who are you looking for? Who? And um, 
This is the mistake that we make when we come to the resurrection. Because again, for us, it becomes a doctrine. And even we can argue about it with people. What do you think about the resurrection? What, does it really three literal days, or was it less than three days? And what's going to happen when we die tomorrow? And when's the rapture going to And everybody think, you know, uh, weighs in on this. People lose their, um, uh, people uh, argue with each other and say they're wrong. And folks stamp out, stomp out of church, you know, saying, My they got the doctrine wrong. I'm never going back to that place again. My dear friends, the resurrection is not an idea. The resurrection is not a doctrine. It's not a theology that you put in the mission statement. The resurrection is a person. I am the resurrection in the life. Who are you looking for? It's where we find, we find deepest, our deepest, deepest, uh, you, you might say, personal longing our yearnings, they're met in a relationship with a person. And a person in a relationship that will continue into eternity. And Jesus came to, say, to tell us that we have eternal life. It wasn't something that's going to happen to us after we die. Although, thank goodness, it will. Eternal life is about, begins now when we enter into a relationship with Jesus who brings us into the Father and it continues on after we die. All our relationships, yes, all that we strive for, work for, long for, these relationships are temporal. Something will happen in heaven, but it's the relationship that we have with Jesus now it's that eternal life that will bring f uh, fulfillment and longing. Let me just, one other thing, maybe two. Third question would be, especially in Luke's gospel, why is everybody doubting? Why don't they believe? After all, we believe, or do we? Or do we have our doubts? Maybe they're not intellectual and we don't verbalize them, but maybe we have our doubts because we don't live out the resurrection. And it's not something that's so central to us. It's not a sin to doubt. I think it's a sin to stay in your doubt, but it's not a sin to doubt. And um, you have the story of Peter. Peter runs to the tomb. Peter says, literally in Greek, when he's told about the resurrection, he says, that's garbage. That's trash. <clears throat> it's, that's fake news. The word is quite strong in Greek. And of course, Peter has to run and see it for himself. Peter has to experience it. He has to experience the Lord. Just like all of us have to experience the Lord. And the way that in which we experience the risen Lord actually is not going to be the same as the person next to us. And woe is us if we try to make everyone conform, you know, to our experience. Hey, brother, tell me about your born-again experience. Tell me about how you were a drug dealer and a gun runner and 
and how God saved you from prison in the hands of the mafia hitmen. <laughs> it doesn't say you have to have a born-again experience. It just says you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to have a testimony like mine. Okay? You should have a testimony. But it doesn't have to be like me. And then there's the road to Emmaus. Those disciples are on that road to Emmaus. And again, <clears throat> they don't believe. They're, they find it hard. And how does, in that experience, they not only experience the Lord, it's not just something experiential. They not only encounter this risen Jesus, but they encounter him not in person, and they encounter him through the scripture. Actually, actually the pattern works. It works in all of the accounts. And by the way, nobody is looking so much looking for Jesus in these stories. Jesus comes looking for them. Okay? Jesus takes the initiative and meets those guys on the road to Emmaus. He goes into that locked upper room. He meets his disciples on the shore to have breakfast with them on the lake of Tiberias. The women, it's very interesting. It says, uh, the, the angel says, don't you remember what he taught you? Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. First of all, first of all, we forget that Jesus had female disciples, and they walked with him, and they learned from him. They weren't some second-class uh, he had 12 apostles, but he had many f females who were disciples. They heard him teach. They heard him say, I must go to Jerusalem. I must, I must, I must. It's God's plan for me to go to Jerusalem. I hate this nonsense when people, ignorant Christians, I hate ignorant Christianity. I hate it, I hate it. I hope you hate it with me. Maybe we shouldn't hate so much. It's Easter morning. <laughs> but I hate when people say, oh, you Jews killed Jesus. What kind of nonsense is that? God himself is responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. God him, the Father, sends the Son. But Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem. Okay, and there I will be crucified and raised from the dead. And the, the word remember in Greek is to take something that happens in the past and make it relevant, okay, and current today. It's like when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we say those words, the words of Jesus, do this in remembrance of me. It's something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's something that's becoming very relevant and present, okay, and that at this moment. It's the mystery of the Eucharist. And when they remember the Scripture, okay, when that Scripture comes alive to them, then they say, oh, yes, yes, something's happening here. And by the way, maybe some of us struggle with belief or struggle with living out the resurrection because we don't remember. We don't remember very well what God has done for us, how God has spoken to us, 
how God has delivered us, the testimony that he has done, the miracles that he has done, those things that he has done for us in the past, they need to be relived, and they need to be recited, and they need to be brought into our everyday. Because we as human beings so easily, easily forget. God does a miracle for us at 10 o'clock in the morning, and at 2 o'clock we're complaining. And we do choose death, do we not, over life. Remember the verse, the, the children of Israel are, ta are taken from slavery. They're on the shores of the Red Sea. And what do they say? It would be better for us to die in Egypt as slaves, you know, in idolatry than to be out here. They, are, they had already forgotten how God had delivered them, did he not? Uh, the plagues, the confrontation with Pharaoh, you know, the, the, de the night of the, the Egyptian, the firstborn were killed. It only took them a few hours. No different than us. So, my dear friends, for the resurrection to be real to us, we not only have to know the Scripture and the teaching of the Scripture, but we have to have that experience with the Lord. And I'll tell you that the proof of the resurrection and what should give us faith, what should continue to, continue to give us confidence is just this. That is that for, and I say this every year, but since most of you aren't here, I'll repeat it. That is the following, is that for 2,000 years, a risen Jesus has changed and transformed the lives of millions and millions and millions of people. Millions of people, their lives have been changed. People have been saved and delivered and transformed. And you know, when people say to you, well, you have your truth and we have our truth. You believe in that Jesus stuff, but I believe in seven-day yoga, Zen Buddhism or something, you know. You can say to them, no, I don't have my truth. We have our truth. We have a truth that, as I said, millions, tens of millions of people have experienced. Can you say the same about your belief system or your personal experience? That our experience is not only confirmed by God's word, the scripture, but it's actually confirmed in practice in the lives of, of an untold number of people. And as we struggle sometimes to make the resurrection central and to make our, re our relationship with the resurrection central, we should remember the following, or we should pray the following. It's a dangerous prayer, but it's a prayer that Paul prays in Philippians chapter 3. In which Paul says, um, he says, you know, all, the, all my achievements, everything on my CV, everything on my resume really doesn't count for a lot. It's not all that important because Paul knew it was fading away. In a few years, nobody would care, you know, 
where he went to yeshiva. Nobody would care where, what city he was born in. But he said what counts and what's going to last, okay, is that uh, he's willing to lose all these things and count them as rubbish so that he can gain Christ and be found in him. He said, I don't have a righteousness which is from the law, but which is from my faith or my relationship in Jesus. The righteousness which is from God by faith. And, that, and here's Paul's desire, and may it be our desire, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, okay, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. To know the power of the resurrection and to know that transform, transformation actually requires something from us. We have to respond to what God has done for us. It might include suffering. It will include sacrifice. And it will always include self-denial. But what are we denying ourselves of? We're denying ourselves something that's temporal, that will not last, that will not, that will not survive. And instead, what do we gain? We gain Jesus. And the relationship that we have with him starts now and continues after we die. Brothers and sisters, this can only happen if we have an increasing, increasing confidence and increasing faith in the resurrection. And we, are allow, we allow God to bring us transformation, to change us. And that happens when we submit to him. When we submit our lives to him. When we hear the voice, we, under, we hear him speak to us through scripture or in other ways. And we follow his lead, no matter what the cost. Because whatever price we pay will be more than worth it so that we may gain Christ to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Let's pray. Lord, we are indeed weak people. We are distracted easily. We um, are addicted. Maybe we're lazy. We fear change. We fear self-denial. We fear sacrifice. And Lord, almost all of us fear suffering. But Lord, we pray that you'll look upon our weaknesses, that you'll give us grace, and that uh, all of us who are in this room can come into a place where we may know him and the power of his resurrection in a deeper and more intimate way. Lord, we pray that uh, we will keep our eyes on that prize and that the prize of knowing Jesus for all of us will burn brighter and be more attractive than any distraction or any anxiety or any fear that we may have. Help us, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. 
You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.